many of you have heard the phrase, I'm just curious, have heard the phrase, I'm not going to ask you if you've said it or thought it, but just, you know, in your travels, how many of you heard the phrase, the church just wants your money? Just, 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 (laughs) holy smoke. Okay, that's probably what I suspected, actually. Um, It's fascinating to me. Uh, It's intended as a little bit of a, sort of a criticism, a little bit of a cynicism. I I get that. I've been doing this for a while. Um, I've never heard anybody say, Woolworths just wants your money. I've never heard anybody say, Amazon just want your money. I've never heard someone walk into the doors of David Jones and walk up to the perfumery counter and say, you people should be ashamed of yourselves. You just want people's money. And yet we have this kind of, what's become a bit of a cultural phrase, the church just wants your money. Now, for those of you that are here with us for the first time this morning, uh, you may be thinking you picked a very, very, very stupid day to walk into Elevate Church for the first time because we're launching a a teaching series for the next four weeks, launching today, called The Church Just Wants Your Money. What you may not know about us is we don't take ourselves too seriously. This title is satirical. Ah, see, important to know that from the get-go because the goal of teaching this series over the next four weeks is not for God to get your money. The goal, I'm saying it right up front, the goal over these next four weeks is for God to get your heart, all of it, and to remove every obstacle that may be actually blocking you giving all of your heart to God. And Jesus actually said, and I'm gonna come back to this a little bit later on, He actually said the number one competitor, and He said this 2,000 years ago, long before Amazon was a thing, the number one competitor for us giving our hearts to God is money and possessions. So we're going to talk about money. I grew up in a family where we weren't allowed to talk about money. Is anyone else that was a thing in your home? Yeah, it's kind of weird, huh? Anyway, I think it's a cultural thing, generational thing. We talk about money here, but we don't talk about what I think about money. We're going to spend a lot of time teaching what God says about money over these next four weeks. Now, in the interests of full disclosure, I work full-time here as the senior leader at Elevate Church. My full-time salary is paid by Elevate Church. However, it is not commission-based, okay? (laughs) So even if our giving goes up over the next four weeks, my salary will stay the same, okay? Okay, so you know. You can slip me a 50 if you want, but it's not not the motivation. Nor is Elevate on the cusp of insolvency. We're about to go bankrupt. Better teach about money, okay? Let me state it one more time. The primary motive for us teaching this satirical series, The Church Just Wants Your Money, is to actually get us to where we are giving all of our heart to Jesus. Now, this may come as great news to some of you, uh, not so great news to some of you. AFL season is just around the corner. How many are excited? How many are, gro- how many are groaning? I heard the groans. Yeah. That's all right. Okay. Okay. So uh, for those of you that are excited, uh, let, let me just get in the way back machine. Let's go back to last year's 
top 10 ladder. This is the, 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 the minor premiership top 10 ladder. Uh, West Coast is the best coast. And by that, I don't mean the team. I mean the teams. And yes, that's the order they should be in. Um, although, although history would suggest that finishing first or second on the ladder does not guarantee one a premiership. Uh, but here's the question. Number seven, Adelaide. I'm not going to throw Adelaide on the bus, under the bus, even though that's where the guy who invented boring is from. Um, Adelaide finished seven. Do you think at the end of the minor season, the, the minor premiership season, do you think that the general manager of Adelaide had T-shirts printed up, we came seventh? Probably not. Because in the words of Ricky Bobby's dad, if you're not first, you're last. Am I only the only one that's watched Talladega Nights? Super Steve have. You've watched it, haven't you? It was on the other night. Yeah, but no, not now. It's got commercials in it. Someone needs to get Netflix. Top 10. So here's a question. Think about your top 10 priorities in your life right now. Top 10 priorities in your life right now. And let me ask the question. As you think about what your top 10 priorities are in your life right now, where's Jesus on the list? Because it's my contention that Jesus didn't die on the cross to just make our top 10, that He actually died on the cross to be number one with a bullet ahead of anything else on our top 10 list. He wants to be number one. And, and, and here's a couple of reasons why. And I wonder if the first reason might surprise some of you, that Jesus wants greater things for you than you want for you. See, in our lives, we settle too often for something less than God's best. And Jesus, when He's number one, He will continue to lead you, lead us towards God's best, which is even better than we can ask for or imagine. And then secondly, which is a little bit of a, a, a cautionary tale, that unless Jesus is first, everything else is going to fall short of its potential because we've been teaching over the last four weeks, He's the vine. And if we're not connected to the vine and make the vine the source of everything, then the fruit is going to be compromised. So, uh, open your Bible app if you're a Bible app person. If you're not, we're going to put the, the verses on the screen. But I'd encourage you to get the Bible app or if you've already got it, flip it open now uh, and you can quickly find uh, the book First Kings and chapter 17. See the app? Ready? Some of you are already there. Boom. You can highlight passages in it. Anyway, don't go there just yet, Zodboy. Flip it back, please. Um, we're going to drill into a lot of the Bible over these next four weeks. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to teach over the next four weeks. I'm going to teach, not preach. You say, well, what's the difference? About 40 decibels in about 20 minutes. <laughs> so I'm going to teach. And, and, and I'm going to, we're going to use a lot of the Bible. And the reason we're going to use a lot of the Bible is because I want to show you that, that, that money and possessions is not a marginal topic in, in the Bible. It wasn't peripheral in God's Word. And uh, what I don't want to do is tell you what I think about money. I want to tell you what God says about money. And it's a pretty important topic. A few years ago, 
several years ago, uh, had a guy want to meet me for coffee um, to, uh, to ask some questions, like someone from the church, well, back then, to ask me some questions. And, and I'm pretty good with that. I'm pretty good. If you want to come you know, meet up with me and ask questions, great. I, you know, we, we're pretty open around here. And uh, anyway, got there, met at a coffee shop. Um, turns out they didn't want to ask questions. They just wanted to make suggestions. And one suggestion was, I don't think that the church should talk about money. And I said, well, that's not my decision to make. I don't get to edit the Bible. Take out the bits that make us maybe occasionally feel uncomfortable. It's not my job. I wouldn't dare do that, in fact. God, I know you wrote it, but I'd like to just make a few revisions if that's okay. So I said, no, no, I don't get to make that decision. In fact, there are more verses in the Bible on money and possessions than there are on faith, prayer and heaven combined. And this person said to me, well, I don't believe that. And I said to them, do you make time to have coffee with your doctor to tell them how they should do their job? I said, I said, that's right, because you're unqualified and you have no experience. And if you try to do that, you just make yourself look stupid. Like you're doing right now, telling me how to do my job. I study the Bible for a living. And when I'm confused, I study guys who study the Bible for a living who are smarter than me. And it's not me telling you that there are more verses on money in the Bible than on faith, prayer and heaven combined. It's the fact that there are, whether you believe it or not, don't change it. Anyway, that was the end of that particular coffee meeting. They left. Ironically, I paid. And they left the church too. So 1 Kings chapter 17, let me give you the backstory. And we're actually going to spend the four weeks around this story, this one story. Maybe a story that's familiar to some of you, but as I repeatedly say, don't think just because you may have read it once or you may have heard it once or you may be somewhat familiar with it once that that's all of the revelation God's got for you. Have an open heart that there's much more that God wants to show you from His Word, even around a story that may be familiar to you. If it's not familiar to you, that's cool. First time, love it. So the backstory is, is it's a story around the Israelites. The Israelites were the chosen people, the chosen nation, God's, God's chosen nation. And they'd existed in Egypt for 400 years as slaves to the Egyptian regime, to Pharaoh and the Egyptian regime, the, the, the nation of Israel living in slaves, as slaves in someone else's land under the rulership of Pharaoh. And, and God, uh, after that time of 400 years in slavery, He did some things for them that they couldn't do for themselves. He actually delivered them from Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a whole nation as his slaves and and by God's uh, request, he actually let them all go for free. That doesn't happen, but God made it happen. He actually led them out of Egypt. He led them through a wilderness, delivered them from slavery, led them through a time in the wilderness, 40 years where He protected them, 
where he provided for them and where he continued to lead them. And eventually he led them into a place we call the promised land because it was a land that he promised to them. So he delivered them from slavery. He, he protected them and provided them through the desert for 40 years and then delivered them into a land that was better than anything they could have even asked for or imagined. That was the story of the Israelites. We're gonna pick that story up here right now. But before we do, you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your story too. Your story is that you were a slave to something. You were a slave to to your past. You were a slave, and and, and me too, to, 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 to broken relationships, to dysfunctional parenting, slave to addictions, slave to, to hurts, all of those things. And, and Jesus has, and if you haven't yet started following Him, He wants to deliver you from being a slave to any and all of those things. He wants to lead you out of that place. He wants to take you on a journey and He wants to show you a land of promise that's, in, that's better than anything you could even ask for or imagine. And so we pick up the story where the nation of Israel are now living in the promised land. It was like amazing. And, and, and some scholars say that, that at this point in history, where we're about to pick this story up from, that the nation of Israel turned their back on God. God having done all of those things, that they turned their back on God. I'm not so sure that they turned their back on Him. What I think they did is that they forgot to keep turning their face to Him. In other words, he was still in their top 10, but he'd slipped from number one. And that was a problem. So God plucks a guy named Elijah out of obscurity. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And then this happened. Elijah, this is the first time you ever hear about this guy, Elijah. He come, turns out to be something of a rock star. First time we ever hear about him. Elijah the Tishbite from among the settlers of Gilead confronted Ahab. Now, Ahab was the king of Israel at the time. Okay, so a guy (laughs) comes out of nowhere, confronts the king. And this king was uber evil. Okay, he was a bad dude. All right. So, So this guy comes out of nowhere and confronts this bad king and says to him, okay, this guy's got a huge pair of kahunis to say this to the king. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are gonna be are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. Pretty impressive when your relationship with God is so powerful and so intimate that you can actually turn on or off the tap of heaven. It's pretty impressive. He didn't say, uh, not a drop of dew or rain unless God says otherwise. He said, unless I say otherwise. I'm, I'm God's mouthpiece on this. I got some game here. Now, look, we live in Perth. We've experienced low rainfall in recent years, right? And, 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 and the worst thing that's happened to us, well, really, I think it's the two worst things that's happened to us is number one, water restrictions. You're only allowed to water on this day and this day if, you, if your house number ends with this number and... Uh, does anyone pay attention to that stuff? Of course you do. And, uh, and you're only allowed to water for a certain period of time. Okay, so, you know, water restrictions, terrible. 
Uh, and then I think the second bad thing is that right now we have, we're subjected to those commercials with the guy with the scrubbing telling us to just drop two. And they're terrible, terrible commercials. So, you know, but look, it could have been worse. The nation of Israel was an agricultural nation. Their entire economy was tethered to the rainfall. Their entire economy, in fact, the, the survival of the nation was tethered to the rainfall. And Elijah pitches up and says, uh, God's about to turn the rain off. And in fact, it's gonna turn it off for a while. How long's a while? I'll get back to you. This was a problem. <laughs> but, but here was a nation that once had God number one on their list of their top 10. And he'd slipped. And God doesn't like that very much. He wants to be number one. So he had to crash their economy. He had to stage an intervention. He had to crash their economy to get their attention back. A long time passed. Verse uh, chapter 18, let's fast forward. You can read the bits in between. It's pretty cool. A long time passed. Then God's word came to Elijah. The drought was now its third year. The message that God said to Elijah was to go and present yourself to Ahab. I'm about to make it rain on the country. I'm about to turn the tap back on. So Elijah set out to present himself to Ahab. The drought in Samaria at the time was most severe. Now, just a little bit of a broader context here. In this three-year time, Ahab, he was pretty ticked off. Elijah said what he had to say and then legged it big time. And Ahab, and Ahab sent out an APB, put, put a bounty on Elijah's head. And, and Elijah managed to, to, to avoid uh, arrest for three years. He's still a wanted man on the run. And God says to him, go back to the guy who's put the bounty on your head. It's, it's, it sounds like a suicide mission, unless you've got faith that when God sends you to do stuff that you might think is uncomfortable, that when God says to do it, you know that he's got your back, right? So uh, be, be, Elijah starts making his way back to Ahab. Uh, before Elijah got there, Verse five, Ahab ordered Obadiah. Now, Obadiah was the chief of staff, okay? He was in charge of the palace. Ordered Obadiah, go through the country, locate every spring and every stream. Let's see if we can find enough grass to keep our horses and mules from dying. This is a head scratcher to me, a complete head scratcher. Elijah had pitched up to him three years ago and says, God's about to turn the tap off. But here's the thing, he'll turn it back on when I say so. And so instead of Elijah, I mean, so instead of Ahab during that next period of time, looking for Elijah saying, what do we have to do to get the tap turned back on? Instead of doing that, he, he, sent, he sent bounty hunters out after Elijah and sends his servant, instead of going to God for the answer, decides to take matters into his own hands. Well, spoiler alert, how do you think that worked for him? So Obadiah, who, by the way, had been obedient to God in secret whilst the chief of staff of the palace of Ahab. You can read about that for yourselves. I'm, I'm kind of skipping around this story. Obadiah, as he went out to look for these streams and springs, ran into Elijah 
And Elijah said, look, go back to Ahab and tell him you've seen me. So Obadiah goes back, went straight to Ahab and told him, Ahab went out to meet Elijah. The moment Ahab saw Elijah, he said, ah, huh, so it's you, old troublemaker. Blaming Elijah, this is, this is your fault. You, you created this. You crashed our economy. And Elijah, I'm talking, this guy had a pair, said, uh-uh, it's not I who caused trouble in Israel, but you and your government, and here's why. You've dumped God's ways and commands and run off after the local gods, the Baals. Elijah called BS on Ahab's excuses for why God turned the tap off and said, no, here's the reason. You've dumped God's ways. He used to be number one and, and, and now he's not because you no longer placed him number one. He had to stage an intervention to get your attention. Now, then it was the Baals. I don't know if there's any Baal worshippers here today. Any Baal worshippers here today? No? Okay, cool. Good. I think in uh, the year 2016 in Western civilization, many of us have replaced the Baals, worshipping something else, putting that in between us and having God number one. I think the number one thing, and, and Jesus said it, is, is money. And uh, in fact, I said I was going to get back to it. Jesus said this really fascinating thing. His teaching, and, and, and Matthew recorded it, said, you can't worship two gods at once. Well, that kind of makes sense. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. It kind of makes sense. Loving the Baals, you'll end up hating the one true god. Okay. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and the devil both. You, you can't worship God and Satan both. At least that's what you'd expect him to say, right? They're kind of, you know, mutually opposed with their objectives. <laughs> and yet that's not what Jesus said was the number one competitor for our hearts, the devil. He actually said, you can't worship God and money both. Well, here's how it might work. Let, let me put up a reasonably, reasonably, uh, I don't know, everyday top 10 of, of what we might uh, put our money towards. Let, let's throw that next uh, slide up, please, Zobwe. Kind of a, a money top 10. And this, is, this is not an outrageous list. Mortgage, rent, got to live somewhere. Rates if you're a homeowner, call. School fees if you've got kids at school age. ISP, uh, a basic first world human need to have internet, uh, a phone, um, food, groceries, fuel, uh, insurances, some form of entertainment, whatever spins your propellers, uh, and maybe money on, on loans. This is not an outrageous list, right? Okay, now, 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 now this is the top 10. This is pretty, I think, I think this is a pretty uh, kind of pedestrian top 10 list for, you know, Give or take most, most houses. Well, uh, let me add Louis' list to the top 10, right? So my, 
my Italian wife would add these to the list of very important things to budget money on, clothes, shoes, two feet and only 365 days a year. I don't understand it. Uh, Hairdressing, uh, getting your nails done, which I don't know what done means, but done, Uh, done. Okay, uh, holidays, okay, not too bad. And car maintenance, all right now. Okay, now, now in fairness, then we'll add my, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, save the best for last. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, Stevie, bicycles, uh, uh, bicycle gear, uh, race entry fees, gym membership, and Vespa maintenance, although doesn't require any maintenance today, although, although, <laughs> Although Baden, Baden, uh, I need you to pump my tyres up this afternoon. Just uh, don't, don't forget that. What's that? No, all of that stuff comes under item 18, bicycle gear. It's just like all of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> bicycles, bicycles can be expensive. You know, my biggest fear, Stevie, I've told you this. My, big, <laughs> my biggest fear is Louie and I are going to have a fight. This is my biggest fear in life, okay? Just tell you. Shh, shh, listen. My biggest fear in life is that Louie and I are going to have a fight and I'm going to like leave the house in disgust and fang it out of there on my 49cc Vespa. Hope she heard that. That'll t- tell her how furious I am. Okay, that's not my biggest fear. Okay, stay with me here. My biggest fear is I'm going to tear, tear out of the house in, in, in furious rage and anger and, and I'm going to get back only to find that Louis sold my bicycles on, no, wait, 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 on eBay for the amount that I told her I spent on them. <laughs> it's my biggest fear. Thankfully, I get the Super Steve price, but... Uh, now, look, I haven't even budgeted for hookers and cocaine on this list anywhere, right? Uh, uh, say for me. Okay. But, but, but look, the, the, what I'm saying is this is not an, an outrageous list. I mean, you, know, you might see, you, you go, I, I don't have any interest in bicycles. No, but there's, there'd be something that you might put up there that I have no interest in. That's fine. It's okay. Right, but we spend money on stuff that's important to us. That would so so your list might be slightly different to ours. I don't think it'll be outrageously different. It's a pretty pedestrian list. We didn't. We're not. You know, Richard Branson. We're going to buy his island in the Bahamas off him. It's not on our list, right? This is reasonably pedestrian. But 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 do you notice who's missing on this reasonably pedestrian, everyday, reasonably kind of normal? Western society uh, list, God, He potentially may not even make it into our top 21 with ease. And that's a problem. He don't like that very much. He didn't die to be number 22. So where's God on your list? Well, the good news is, and I'm gonna race through this, I said it, the decibel was not going to go up. It just went up, hey. It's pretty good coffee, though. <laughs> I mean, who's had the coffee so far this morning? Bloody beautiful. Oh, man, what is it again? Rose Diamond. Yeah. Oh, Diamond with Diamonds up there. <laughs> Number 17, Endless Jewelry. Why are you laughing? Oh, that's not exaggerating. 
Oh, so many things I could say right now, Brett McPherson, so many things, and you wouldn't like any of them. You know, the good thing is, the good thing is God gives us a way to demonstrate that He is on our list, and in fact, He even gives us a way to demonstrate that He's number one. It's a churchy word called the tithe. The tithe just means 10%. And so the idea is, this is God's idea, it's not my idea. God's idea is, if I've got 10 $10 bills, 100 bucks, if I've got 10 $10 bills, one of them goes to God. That's his idea, right? To show that, but, but actually, if we just gave him one of the 10, it's not necessarily clear where he is on the list. So he makes it even clearer than that is he wants us to give him the first of the 10 $10 bills to show that he on our list of 10 things is is number 1 and and I've you know I get it I'm not an idiot most time some people think that that's outrageous like 10% sounds like a lot and I would say it really depends on your perspective because I've been giving God my first 10%, and this doesn't make me a hero, it just makes me a follower of Jesus. I've been giving God my first 10% since I first got taught about the tithe when I was 24. A heck of a long time ago. And um, my perspective is, I think the fact that we get to keep 90% is a lot. It just really depends on your perspective. So let let me, I I promised I was going to show you some Bible stuff that goes to prove that this is not a marginal topic and not just Mark's idea. And I've just plucked out a few of the references to the tithe, the first 10%. Some of them are are pretty controversial. Some of them are not politically correct, especially this first one. Back in Genesis... Chapter 4, for those of you on the podcast, verse 2, B, that's like what cool Bible people means the second half of verse 2, B. Did you know that? Life-changing stuff right there. Abel was a herdsman and Cain a farmer. Time passed. There were brothers. Cain brought an offering to God from the produce of his Farm and Abel also brought an offering, but Abel brought an offering from the firstborn animals of his herd, and in fact, they were the choice cuts of meat. God liked Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering didn't get his approval. They were both in God's top 10. Sorry, God was in their top 10, but only Abel had God as number one. Cain had God somewhere down the list, and God don't like that. Next one, chapter 14, Melchizedek, among the top 10 things not to call your next baby boy, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the high God. And he blessed Abram, one of the heavyweights of the, the, the early part of the Bible. You read a lot about him. Blessed be Abram by the high God, creator of heaven and earth. 
and blessed be the high God who handed your enemies over to you. So Abram had just led a great victory, but he realised that he wasn't the source of the strength and the power for the victory, God was. And so in response, Abram gave him a tenth of all the recovered plunder. Fast forward, chapter 28. Jacob, another heavyweight, vowed a vow. If God stands by me and protects me on this journey on which I'm setting out, I wonder how many of you have ever prayed that sort of prayer. God, please, this, this next thing I'm doing, this job interview, this, this, this child we're about to bring into the world, this, this step of faith that I'm about to take, keeps me in food and clothing and brings me back in one piece to my Father's house. This God will be my God. This stone that I've set up as a memorial pillar will mark this as a place where God lives. When God does something great in your life, write it down because you forget. And when you come to the next battle, if you've forgotten God's already brought you through the last battle, you may not realise that the same God is ready to go ahead of you in the next battle. So he got in the habit of building little altars. And everything you give me, I'll return a tenth to you. Fast forward to Leviticus. Not one of the most easy reading parts of the Bible, but it's there. Chapter 27, a tenth of the land's produce, whether it's grain from the ground or fruit from the trees, is God's. It's holy to God. Deuteronomy chapter 14, make an offering of 10%, a tithe of all the produce which grows in your fields year after year. Bring this into the presence of God. By the way, the 10th, the, the first 10%, it's meant to be brought into the local church, not given to, to the hospital down the road, not given to the aid agency overseas. Those places we give in addition to our first 10%. God's plan was the first 10% goes to the local church at the place He designates for worship. In this way, you'll learn to live in deep reverence before your God, your God as long as who you live. In this way, you'll remember to keep God number one. You'll both show Him He's number one and remember He's number one. Uh-huh. Now I can talk from the book of Proverbs repeatedly. Solomon references, bring your first and your best, honour the Lord with your first and your best. I'm not even gonna bother. There's so much stuff. I had to edit it out. Malachi, Malachi is the famous thing. This may be the first teaching around first 10% giving that doesn't mention Malachi. Chapter three, verse 10, which says, Matthew records Jesus as talking about the tithe. What sorrow. <laughs> if Jesus starts to speak to you and, and, and this is the tone of, of the sentence, <laughs> it means it's not a good day for you. <laughs> what sorrow awaits you, Brett McPherson. Not a good day if he says that, but he won't. Not to you, my friend. Servant in the house of God, he says, good job. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, exclamation mark. But you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. Pretty good. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Oh, justice, mercy, and faith. Thankfully, they're not mutually exclusive. Jesus says you should tithe, yeah, but don't neglect the more important things. I'm done. I told you I was teaching. When I teach, I finish on time. Some of you, your prayers have been answered. It's a miracle. Uh, who said that? 
Caleb, this is not going to be a good day for you, buddy. I know where you live. Um, Come over the next three weeks, make it a a priority, Uh, even if you're cynical, even if you think that (laughs) they say they don't want my money, but we'll see. Well, come along and you will see. I'll reiterate our primary motive for teaching this satirically titled series, The Church Just Wants Your Money, is that, no, we want to point you to God to remove all the barriers. And if money's one of them, and, and it possibly is, to, him, to making him your number one, then, then, then our prayer, sincere prayer, and we've prayed this already, and we're going to continue to pray it, is that this will be a recalibrating next four weeks for every one of us to make sure that Jesus is number one in every area of our lives. Uh, I mentioned early on when I was talking about the nation of Israel that, that they'd been in slavery and that God had actually delivered them from Egypt and take them on a journey and, and take them to a land that was better than anything they could have even asked for or imagined. And I mentioned back then that, that many of you who've chosen to follow Jesus, Jesus did that very thing in your life. He delivered you from slavery to something. And, 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 and it's taken you on a journey to where he's delivering you to a life that's even better than you could ask for or imagine. But it's quite likely some of you haven't made this first decision to start following him, to allowing him to deliver you. And so what we're going to do right now, really, really quickly, uh, before we move on to the coffee, is I want to give you an opportunity to, to make a decision today to, to, to have Jesus deliver you from whatever it is, a life, even just a life without a relationship with God. It's the, the biggest thing that Jesus wants to deliver you from and actually start your relationship with him. If you've never made that decision, we're going to give you an opportunity right now to make that decision, to say, Jesus, I want to start following you. I want, I want to have a relationship with you, and, and I'm going to follow you from this day forward and allow you to transform my life, put my trust in you, put my faith in you. It starts today. For those of you that have never made that decision, we want to give you that opportunity right now. And all I'm going to ask you to do is just to slip your hand up. And by slipping your hand up, you're saying, God, that's me today. I want to make that decision today. In fact, I'm making that decision today. And when I see your hand, you can put it down, and then we're going to pray. But for some of you, if you've never made that decision to start that journey of putting your faith, your trust in Jesus, just slip your hand up real quickly. And then when I see your hand, you can put it down. 